It's something for nothing, the Rush Fancast. Jerry and Steve back with you for part two of my favorite headache, the Something for Nothing podcast. Welcome, Jerry. Hi, Steve. Thanks for welcoming me to my own podcast. <laughs> no, I was calling the Something for Nothing podcast my favorite headache. You didn't get it. Oh, no, I didn't get it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter. We are at Rush Fancast. Instagram, you can find us at The Rushcast. Email Jerry, therushcast at gmail.com. The bass intro and outro, that is Lex. He's amazing. Follow or subscribe via your favorite podcast app. And Jerry, we've got a lot to get to. Six songs, right? Yes. Let's hear an email before we get started. What do you think? Yes, this is from a J.D. Shipley. Hey, J.D., what's up? He says, I'll admit it. I'm surprised at how much I enjoy listening to average people's origin stories. So I figured I'd throw in mine. People like that episode. Oh, nice. I, I wouldn't call them average people. They were out there. They were much <laughs> higher than average people. <laughs> He says, I'm the oldest of three, so I didn't have an older sibling to get me into Rush. My story starts with having a group of teenage music-loving friends that decided we were going to have a band. It didn't matter that nobody knew how to play. One guy found his dad's old drum set in the attic. Another had gotten a guitar for Christmas one year and never tried it. And another one had taken a few guitar lessons but lost interest. Since they had the idea of forming a band, they needed a bass player, and they picked me. I didn't have a bass but I talked my mom into getting me one. It was a Goulden's mustard-colored metal flake PV foundation bass that weighed almost as much as I did. So we got together all the time and played simple stuff, mostly paranoid, over and over again. And as the years progressed, we actually got pretty good. I hated the bass, but it was something to do with my friends, and it gave us something to do instead of drinking cheap beer in the woods. <laughs> I, started, <laughs> I knew people who drank cheap beer. In oh, the sure. I started to see the potential of playing bass when someone introduced me to Iron Maiden, and I was hooked. I had to get better, faster, and louder. Then Billy Sheehan joined Mr. Big, and I was enthralled. How could this guy be such a virtuoso? I'll never be that good, I thought. And so I kept going, faster, louder, more scales. I even started modifying my bass guitars with pickups and shaving down the necks and whatever else I could think of to try to make me faster, better, louder. And then Mr. Big was opening up for Rush in Baltimore on the Presto Tour, and I had to go. I didn't give a crap about Rush. I was tired of hearing Tom Sawyer and Spirit of Radio and Limelight on the radio all the time, and I couldn't stand that singer's screechy voice. But Billy Sheen was going to play, and damn it, I was going to go. So I talked another friend of mine into going and even paid for his ticket. He didn't care about either band. He just liked concerts. Okay. I got into the arena early and did everything I could to be as close to the stage as I could. The hell with my assigned seat. Eventually, the lights went down and out charged Mr. Big. And after all the weeks of excitement and anticipation, I was let down. I don't know exactly what it was that let me down so badly, but it was just an insanely loud mismatch of screaming vocals, screaming guitar, and I couldn't even hear the bass. Five songs in, and I was actually angry and heartbroken. My friend suggested we find our assigned seats in the upper deck. I wanted to leave, but he pointed out that we had paid for the tickets and we might as well stay. Plus, he was a little older than me, and he'd buy me a beer. So I stayed, and Rush took the stage. They had giant rabbits. Ugh. They played something I didn't know. Ugh. And I was done with my beer. And then they played Limelight. Hmm. Huh. That was pretty good. Then they played something else I didn't know, so I went to the bathroom. It was oddly vacant. <sighs> and then they did a song that raised my eyebrows quite a bit. The bass was thunder, the drumming was amazing, and some deep, disembodied voice growled subdivisions from hidden speakers on the other side of the arena. And my life changed. Now they had my attention. I sat there with my elbows leaning against the railing and my jaw on the floor. I didn't know most of the songs, but that dude was playing bass, singing, playing keyboards, and playing keyboards with his feet. And what the hell? The entire crowd is air drumming. They did the most insane instrumental I'd ever seen. And oh my God, that drum solo. Eventually, they did two other songs I actually knew, Tom Sawyer and Spirit of Radio. And it was like I had never heard them before. My friend wanted to leave before the encore, and I refused. I had to go find him at the car after the concert. The next day, I immediately hit the record store and bought Presto and every other album or cassette I could get my hands on. I read everything about them that I could find. I read all the lyrics and got blown away all over again. I came to love the band almost as if they were a part of my family. And I still love them 
to this day. I never got as good as Getty, although he inspired me to learn how to sing and to sing while I play. He taught me that the bass isn't always about speed, power, or loudness, and that it can be the melodic backbone of the band if it locks in with the drums in just the right way. And their music got me through a lot of really difficult times, as it has for just about all Rush fans. And I want to thank you guys for this podcast. Seriously, in my town, I'm the only Rush fan I know. I'm certainly the only one that I'm aware of that has an encyclopedic knowledge of their music. It's so nice to find out I'm not the only one out there besides running into Rush fans at concerts, and sadly, that's not happening anymore, who loves them as much as I do. And thanks for the regular person origin stories. I really enjoyed it, and I hope you do more. Fantastic job, JD. Wow. JD, thanks so much for that email. And Jer, I just love hearing a transformation story like that. He goes into the show not liking Rush at all. Nope. Even the first song he hears, eh, not liking it. Never heard that song before. Doesn't like the stage with the rabbits. And two hours later, he's a rabid fan. Yeah, he's a nut. I love that. Yeah, I know. Great email. Great email. Thanks so much, JD, for listening. We really appreciate it. And Jared, today we finish up a fantastic record by Getty Lee, My Favorite Headache, released in 2000. We left off with track six. What do you say we jump right into it? Yeah, let's do it. The Angels Share. The Angels Share. Secrets of the universe is seldom fair. Partly blessing, partly Jerry, I would say this is unlike any Rush song. Would you agree? Yeah, it definitely, definitely has its own feel to it. Another one of those mid-tempo songs we were talking about on this record, but yep. no less fantastic than the other songs on the record, I think. It's probably my second favorite song on the album. Oh, wow. Because it's about one of my favorite topics. <laughs> Religion. Religion. Correct me if I'm wrong. It seems that Getty is skeptical about the existence of angels and celestial beings and the like. Am I incorrect? No, you're not incorrect. I believe he has said on more than one occasion that he's considers himself to be an atheist. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he's a little, he's a little skeptical. And I guess the song, the angels shares, he, he wants to know how, you know, what's the angels share of all the misery that happens in the world. That's what I'm getting from the song. Hmm. Okay. It's a valid question, right? Yeah. The angels share the secrets of the universe is seldom fair, hardly blessing, hardly curse. Yeah. The important thing to remember about the angels share is that it's possessive. It's like, what's their share of this thing? What's their share of the secrets of the universe? Okay. So they're not sharing the secrets of the universe. No, it's possessive. Okay. What's the angels share of the secrets of the universe and their share is seldom fair. This is how I'm interpreting it. Of course, okay. I have, I have a, a dim view on the, on the subject matter in general. <laughs> so it's going to be a dim okay. interpretation. Is that if they have the secrets to the universe, well, how come they're not sharing that with us? Do you know what I mean? Like their, sh- their share of the secret of the universe, it's seldom fair if they're keeping it to themselves. That's what I'm thinking. Okay. Right? And then the next one is all those dreams we cannot know, we dream, we hypothesize. Maybe these are secrets shared by those watching from the sky. So they know the secrets of the universe. And here we are on our little ball of dirt, wondering, dreaming, hypothesizing. What's the meaning of life? Yeah. And they're not sharing it with us. They're not sharing it with us. Which he gets into in the chorus. If we are only members of the human race, 
no supernatural beings from a supernatural place. If you can solve the problem, come and tell me to my face. Right. Why aren't you telling me? It's a great critique if you're asking me and something that, you know, people like us, Steve, ask all the, uh, say all the time. You know what I mean? <laughs> Why don't they show up with the answer? Regular people like us? Regular people like us. <laughs> Ordinary uh, Rush origin story people like us. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it, why is everything couched in these old books? Why is everything, why did everything happen so long ago? Why is it just visions when people are asleep or this or that or the other thing? How about you just show up at my front door with the answer? Yeah. If angels exist, why don't they just come down and talk to me? Right. Why do they have to go to the guy who then on Sunday tells everybody what they said? Right. Why do you have to look in the little hat? Why is everything in the hat that no one else can look into? <laughs> you know what I mean? Why are these things written down on plates or, you know, translated by people who know the language and then nobody else can even read? What? How about let's cut out the middleman? What the what, man? What the what? Don't, <laughs> don't send your emissaries to annoy me on a Sunday morning. Just come, just show up yourself. Come say it to my face. The angels share in all the human mysteries. There is no prayer to the thieves of celestial history. The thieves of celestial history, Steve. Wow. That, <laughs> this is my kind of song. So, yeah, so the angels, what does the angels share? How much are they to blame for human misery? How many atrocities of the world have not been stopped? Well, if they existed, their share is all of it. Their share would be mo a lot of it. Yes. If you but, could do something about it and you don't do it, you know, it's, it's always, and again, people might be tuning up. It's going to, going to be interesting to see the, the metrics of this episode at this point, <laughs> to see how it drops off. But I'm, I, I'll say it anyway, you can cut it out if you want, but you know, it always bothers me when you see like, a, like some kind of sporting man or some actor or anybody you know, thanking God for their beautiful voice or thanking God for catching that, that pass or right. for winning some dumb game Right. when the Holocaust happened. I don't want to live in a world where somebody gives a crap if somebody catches a football Yeah. <laughs> and doesn't care if children starve to death. I mean, if I catch a touchdown pass and I point to the sky, Hey, thank you, God. Right. I don't want to live in a world where the, the God cares more about football on a Sunday than children. I don't. Yeah, well, I mean, if God existed, he wouldn't care about football. No, he wouldn't. That's for sure. He'd care about hockey. He'd care about my fantasy football team. He would. But not football in general, no. That's it's true. That's very true. <laughs> but then he'd be caring about football. If he cared about your fantasy football team, he, he would also care about football. Well, that's because I prayed, Jer. The other teams didn't. Right. <laughs> Remember, there is no prayer to the thieves of celestial history. That's true. That's true. The myth of perfect wisdom, we forget at birth. It's kind of a clandestine conspiracy, a seraphim joke of eternity. Yeah. This is getting good. This is getting harsh. <laughs> so, do you know what a seraphim, you know, the seraphim, right? Isn't a seraphim angel? Yeah. I mean, it's a seraphim, is like a, how we would say it. I think uh, seraphim, I guess it's just a different variation of seraphim, but seraphim was our high school's team mascot or something wasn't it yes it was the the seraphs yeah the six or eight winged avenging angels or something like that <laughs> that was a mascot in our high school it was a seraphim joke of eternity <laughs> it was <laughs> oh boy and then he says again if we're all if we are only members of the human race through su supernatural beings from a supernatural place if you can't solve the problem, come and tell me to my face. And then we get the best solo on the album. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. And I love the layered vocals on this song. Just beautiful. Yeah. They're a little trippy, right? Yeah. It's very cool. Yeah. Very cool. All those things we cannot know. We dream. We hypothesize. Maybe these are secrets shared by those watching from the skies. Or maybe not. Or maybe not. But again, if they are, it'd be nice to know. It'd be nice to know. Yeah. But we have no way to know because they didn't come down and tell us to our face, Jer. That's right. It would be great 
if Getty opened his door one day and there was just an angel standing there and you're like, listen, you want to know? Maybe it's happened. It's, it was 21 years ago when he wrote this song. <laughs> Maybe on the next solo album, they'll have a, a new story to tell. <laughs> well, the angels came down and told me to my face. They showed me. They showed me. <laughs> Who killed JFK? <laughs> Uh, anything else on this song? It's a beautiful song. Gary. It's a beautiful song. People can come back and listen now if you've skipped over 30 seconds at a time. Um, I love it. I, I love the critique. I mean, excellent points are being made in this song. And again, couched in a beautiful song mm-hmm. that is, is just catchy. It's going to grab your attention. I, I love it. Love it. Look, we have a lot of religious listeners and we do. I respect their opinions and I hope, you know, we're joking a little bit about it, but you know, we respect your opinions too. Yes. But it is an interesting question to ask. Oh, totally. Totally. And I'm sure, you know, if, if I were a religious person, I would be asking these things too. You know, how come, you know, I'm praying to the angels. Why don't I see them? Right. I don't know. Higher dimensions. I don't know. And some people claim to have seen angels. So that's true. Maybe they have. I haven't. I think Lily Tomlin said, it's okay to pray to God, but if God starts talking back to you, (laughs) (laughs) then maybe there's a problem. Uh, All right, let's move on to track seven on My Favorite Headache, Jer. Moving to Bohemia. Yeah, the first thing I did when researching this song was to look and see where Bohemia was because I did not know. Right. I pride myself on geography, but this I did not know. It's part of present-day Czech Republic. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not sure that has anything to do with this song. I almost feel like Bohemia represents moving to a place, any place far away. Well, I think the word Bohemian, you know, to describe somebody who lives like a carefree lifestyle were called that because they came from Bohemia. So like the idea of a Bohemian lifestyle is someone who comes from, you know, it's named after people who come from Bohemia. So I think in this song, moving to Bohemia is about just kind of moving someplace carefree, Mm -hmm. letting all of the, all of the weighty kind of subject matter that has come before us on this record. He just wants to, to, you know, go there. That's where I, that's what I think. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, do you think this ties in with the pursuit of perfection theme that I think kind of flows through this record, kind of the search for perfection in life, like a perfect place to live? Yes. It's interesting, though, that it seems like that perfect place doesn't have a lot of stress, stressors on you. You know what I mean? It would be kind of hard to be a perfectionist if you were moving to Bohemia and, and, and living in a utopia because you wouldn't, there'd be nothing, you'd be happy. Right. Already. So there'd be no need for perfection. Could this be Getty kind of looking forward to retirement, maybe 20, 30 <laughs> years down the road? I mean, this is 2000 right now. But Yeah, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who's, he's not retired. Right. I mean, look what he's done since, since the end of Rush, right? <laughs> he's certainly not slowing down. Future Getty, far, far in the future Getty? Maybe. It's just maybe, you know, when you have a lot on your plate, sometimes you wish for an empty plate. Right. You, just, you would like just, have a place right because it starts off where the air is not clean where the water's glowing green where the dogs are mean what do you think that means i think that means that that's where he lives now oh gotcha so i'm moving to bohemia you know what i mean <laughs> all of these terrible things the, the air is bad the water's polluted the dogs are mean so let's get out of this 
mm-hmm. place and move to a, a more carefree place. Now, do you think Getty's referring to himself or this just a, a fictional person that lives in the place where the dogs are mean? Are the dogs mean where Getty lives, do you think? No, I think he has very nice dogs. <laughs> no, not in his house. I mean, in his neighborhood. Um, no, I just think, it, I mean, this song is a lot of fun, right? It's a fun song. It's a great song. It's got a great bass line to it. It really moves and it really moves along. It's a very fun, upbeat kind of tune. So it could just be, you know, more tongue in cheek than anything else. Mm-hmm. But I think that just sets up the fact that, you know, these are the reasons why he wants to move to this carefree place. Yeah. Now this next part, I think you're going to really identify with Jer. I'm moving to Bohemia, taking you along, say goodbye to suburbia. You don't have to cut the lawn <laughs> and you don't like cutting the lawn, right? Yeah. We had this discussion just a couple of days ago <laughs> off did. air in our actual personal lives, I believe. Right. Yes. I just, I'm not into, into lawns. What can I say? I don't <laughs> care about lawns. I don't want my lawn to be nice looking. I don't care about my lawn being green or weed free. It just doesn't bother me. Uh, so yeah, I, I already live. If that's the, if that's the, the metric, I already live in Bohemia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't want to say where you live, Jer, but you know, doesn't remind me of Bohemia. Just look for the worst <laughs> lawn on the block. That's where I live. I love this part too. I had a dream of a different place. I had a dream that you had a different face. What do you think that means, Jer? I, I just think it goes along with this character's wanting to, you know, move to some kind of utopia or whatever. Maybe, you know. But is he moving to this utopia with somebody else? I had a dream you had a different face to me means I had a dream you were somebody else. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Right? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I heard a scream of a desperate kind. I've got a feeling that you're going to love what you'll find. Yeah. I don't know what the scream of a desperate kind is, but, but now we find out what we're going to find, right? Yes. Where we're on TV, where the money grows on trees, where the beer is free. Always the beer. Always the beer. Right. <laughs> is it rush beer? Is it rush Canadian golden ale? Do you think Yeah, it is now? Yeah. So, I mean, that's why this is where I think that this is where I started to think this song is a little tongue in cheek. You know what I mean? Like where we're on TV. Mm-hmm. It's like, with the, I, maybe it's more of the idea of what people think would be the perfect right. place to be. So especially in the early two thousands, right. Mm-hmm. Where we're on TV. It's always a big thing to be like, I'm not sure if this was the beginning of like reality TV. It might have been, you know, like um, when it really started to get going, where everybody seemed to be like, if you're on TV, you know, it's like being famous or being famous type of thing, which is seems to be a lot of people's goal in life, but isn't really much of a much of a, a goal, if you ask me, you know. But this utopia isn't reality, where the money grows no. on trees, where the beer is free. These things don't happen in life. No, and that's why I think it's a little jokey. It's like, okay, what's uh, you know, I've I've got. Uh, you know, I don't have to cut the lawn right. and all the beer is free. Right. Sounds fun, I guess, but probably not that much fun. You're never getting free beer, Jar, and you always have to cut the lawn. Always have to cut the lawn, right. And my, <laughs> the only thing that grows on trees are leaves. Moving to Bohemia, taking you along, say goodbye to Utopia. We'll wave before we're gone. See ya, Utopia. Right. I don't know what that means. Is suburbia supposed to be a utopia, but we're saying goodbye to it now because we're moving? I guess. You know, that, you know, now that I read that, yeah, it doesn't really make sense, does it? I don't know. It's still a fun song. Oh, it, it's totally fun. But that different face line really, really perplexes <laughs> you care, me. You're hung up on that, I'm right? I'm hung up on that. Yeah. I had a dream for a different place. I had a dream you had a different face. <laughs> I hear the beat of an anxious heart. I feel the heat. It's time for us to start. It's time for us to start. Right. And then I'm moving to Bohemia where the literature is obscene, bathing in euphoria, where the naked truth is on the screen. Wow. That just seems kind of, it sounds like he's just making fun of something. The two words that jump out at me are obscene and naked. Yes, I know. I kind of figured that. (laughs) What's the purpose of being naked if you're not being obscene, right, Steve? Right. Those those two go together. (laughs) But th- that different face line is the thing that jumps out at me, this whole song. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I guess in order for this character's world to be perfect, he's got to bring this person with him as long as they don't 
as long as, like you said, they're not themselves. I just don't think that this song is in any way autobiographical. I think this is no, not at all. Not at all. I think it's kind of, like I said, tongue in cheek. Yeah. Because if it was autobiographical, Getty wouldn't be dreaming of somebody with a different face. That's true. He would never do that. Nope. I love the drums on this song. What do you think? Yeah, we haven't we haven't talked about Matt Cameron's drumming. Oh, it's great. He is one of the best drummers to come out of the whole grunge kind of thing. He's not a straight ahead drummer. You know what I mean? He plays some very interesting mm-hmm. things. He's just all over the place. I mean, that Temple of the Dog album is one of my favorite. Love that record. Albums ever. Yeah. And he is just plays so interestingly on this album. You know, I mean, because just think about it. You, a drummer being asked to play with Getty, it's got to be nerve wracking. Yeah. But you know, I saw, was he in that video? We saw that, uh, he was, he didn't seem too nervous. No, because you know, he's, he's a very confident drummer. You know what I mean? He has his own style and he brings that to this album. To me, the vibe he had was just like, this is just another job for me. No problem. I'll do it. Yeah. Because by that time, he'd been in so many little bands, right? Oh, yeah. Little, little bands, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, you know, little Yeah, bands. I mean, he was wildly successful. This has kind of a faraway world kind of feel to it. That's, that's what I wrote down. Yeah, definitely. And I really like at the end of the song, I wrote down that Getty's chucka-chucking his way through the end of this song on that bass. He's oh, yeah. Something, something cool going on, right? Yeah, very cool, very cool. All right, let's move on. Track eight. On my favorite headache is Home on the Strange. quote from rush vault jer yes this was from the video press release that we watched but i i didn't pull it from that rush vault was kind enough to do that home on the strange was the last piece written for the record we had been working really hard on all these other songs slaving over details and we wanted to do something where we wouldn't slave over all the details so it was pretty well recorded live jeremy taggart play drums on this particular track and i right bass and drums then ben mink threw some guitars on and that was it what i think is a real fun spontaneous deal and i have to agree this song is fun and it sounds spontaneous and it's one of the best songs on the record i think yeah i i wrote down that it to me it sounds like the rushiest song on on the on the album especially the bass yeah i would agree with that yeah for sure. It's a great jam on this song. Like you said, everybody's just kind of playing together right off the cuff. So it definitely has that energy to it. And it's just, the lyrics are fun. Just weird. And it's got a great groove to it, don't you think? Yeah, that's kind of what I meant. Is that it's just a, the, the guys just playing together and they found a groove and they're like, hey, let's, let's do that. And I feel like this song would fit more on Test for Echo than Vapor Trails for me. What do you think? Yeah, I didn't really have an idea of where it would fit. I just knew it sounded Russian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Jeremy Taggart, he is from Our Lady Peace. Oh, I didn't know that. I remember that band. Yeah, that's the band he was in. And he does a great job on this song. I mean, it's the drumming is fantastic. Yeah. And the lyrics are, I don't think there's really much to them. You know, it's just kind of a, they're not goofy by any any measure, but it's definitely talks about someone who's just uh, a weirdo. (laughs) Let's put it that way. Getty said it was inspired by someone I met along the way. Someone with very defined habits. (laughs) 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 And uh, that that was from the the same interview I've been reading off the Power Windows website from Jam Showbiz. 
And Paul Canton, who did the interview, pressed Getty on who it was, and he would not give it up. Hmm. I just think that's a very diplomatic way to say that he met someone who was a total weirdo. <laughs> right? Well, he sleeps with a chainsaw is the first line of the song. So there you go. Lots of weird things. Got eyes like an outlaw. He takes a two smoke walk. <laughs> he don't like to talk. I love it. <laughs> now a two smoke walk. That's, you know, he's having two cigarettes and one walk. That's yeah. a long walk. That's a long walk. Then we get right into the chorus, I guess. Right. And he don't yep. like change and he don't like change. You may think he's deranged, but he'd rather be home, home on the strange. I like that he says, and he don't like change twice. Yeah. That's how much the guy doesn't like change. He had to say that line twice, not change it. Now, the next line is what makes me wonder who this guy is. He's a Canadian icon. Who the heck is this? I don't know. I really want to know. He sleeps with his clothes on. He likes to work with his hands. <laughs> He's an apolitical man. Yeah, I have a slice idea who it could be. You know, our Canadian listeners have to do your homework. They may know, right? Our Canadian listeners may know who this is. Yeah, could be somebody they actually know. Email us at therushcast at gmail.com. Give us your guesses on who the man in this song is. One in a lifetime, one in a world, one in a lifetime, one in a world. He's one of a kind, this guy, right? He is. Even though he's not Canadian, I have a guess. He sleeps with a chainsaw, right? Yep. He sings fa, 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 fa. He likes to work with his hands. He's an apolitical man. You know someone that sings fa, 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 fa? So <laughs> one, in a, one in a lifetime Yeah. and fa, 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 fa immediately brought to mind David Byrne. Oh. You know, Psycho Killer. And, you know, once in a lifetime is a. All right. But he's not Canadian. I was going to say he's not Canadian. So I don't know what that is. And he doesn't say he's, a, he's Canadian. He says he's a Canadian icon. Maybe he just likes to sing that song. Maybe he does like to sing Psycho Killer. Maybe that's why people think he's, he's a so psycho weird. killer. <laughs> he's a killer. <laughs> I think you're onto something here. I think you are. Maybe it's a Canadian serial killer. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know about that. He sleeps with a chainsaw, <laughs> right? Maybe. Just because he's a serial killer doesn't mean he's not a Canadian icon, right? Can a serial killer be an icon? Yes. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. No. Well, people are enthralled by serial killers sometimes. Just. I guess so. Just watching what they're doing on TV. They watch on the news to see what the guy does next. Not that they condone what the guy's doing. Oh, okay. But can you be an iconic serial killer? <laughs> I think you can. <laughs> so basically we have narrowed down who this song is about. It's either about David Byrne or a serial killer. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think you're onto something though. I think the fa 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 is psycho killer. Maybe. I mean, I think it is, but I think it's about David Byrne. David Byrne is a peculiar person, but he's not Canadian. Maybe it, maybe he's big in Canada. I don't oh, know. Maybe. Huh? Wow. This is tough. I just looked up David Byrne. Okay. On Wikipedia. All Are right. you ready for this? Yeah. David Byrne was born on 14 May, 1952 in Dumbarton, Scotland. Okay. The elder of two children born to Tom and Emma. Two years after his birth, his parents moved to Canada. Wow. Settling in Hamilton. They then moved to the United States, making their home in Maryland. Look at that. Does that make him Canadian though? I don't, I, I don't know. I'm just saying I didn't know that about him. I mean, if you were born in one country and you moved to Canada and then moved to the United States, are you Canadian? Is Canadian? I don't know. I'm just saying I didn't, I didn't know that about David Byrne and here it is. Huh? Another, another clue. All right. Another clue. Fa, 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 fa. Let's move on to track nine on my favorite headache, Jar. This is Slipping. Baby 
Now, the piano at the open, Jerry, this is something you've never heard in a Rush song, right? Have we? No, but I said, I, I, I said to myself when I heard this, it's a Presto-like song. Okay. Right? I can see that, sure. There have been some songs that start with the piano, definitely not like this, right? But this is an, another great song. It's like a little love song. Yeah. I love the layered vocals on this. Getty's vocals are fantastic. Yeah. And it kind of reads like a letter to someone, don't you think? It does. That's a great observation. I think it does. Yeah. It sounds like it's a song that's very personal to him. Yes. I know we said the other ones weren't autobiographical, but this one may be. I believe it could be. Do you have quotes about it? I don't. No, I didn't. I didn't find anything about this song. Yeah, me either. So why don't we get into the lyrics? Meant to tell you, tell you from the start. Meant to show you what's inside this shallow heart. But I could not find the words worthy enough to say. I slipped along the way. Yeah, I mean, it definitely sounds like the person in this song maybe made some mistakes, mm-hmm. right? Just trying to repair that, but can't just think of the words to say. Yeah. It's very beautiful. I think I'm going to save this for when I do something wrong and I need to write my <laughs> wife a little letter. <laughs> you could have just... Tried to be there, be there when you fall. Tried to make you feel big when life makes you feel small. But I could not find the steps quickly enough to take. I slipped along the way. Yeah, and so this is another situation, right? Where he didn't live up to whatever relationship promise maybe he had made. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't the supportive person that he could have been. And he feels right. like that's a, a, a slipping maybe of his character. Right. For the record, I don't need to write this letter. <laughs> I'm doing very, very well as a husband, I think. <laughs> so far. <laughs> yeah, really. Want to change things. Want to clear the air. Fix things around us so badly in need of repair, but I might not have the sense, sense enough to change. I slipped along the way. Yeah. Another part of a relationship that needs uh, fixing. Yeah. It's very simple and very beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's a great song. I mean, he's, he's quite the songwriter we're discovering here, right? Yeah, definitely. He's definitely quite the songwriter. This is a, this is a, a beautiful ballad makes me really look forward to what Getty does next in his career. Yeah, I mean, after listening to this album, I'm, I'm, I'm wishing he would put out another album. I think he will. I think he will, for sure. Let's hope so. Let's move on to track 10, Jer. This is called Still. Flying the ground So another mellow tune, Jer. A couple back-to-back here. Just as beautiful as well. And I'm starting to think that the theme of this album maybe is about dealing with and fighting through life's challenges rather than the pursuit of perfection. What do you think of that? I like I think definitely as we head toward the end of this album, that's an interpretation that can be made. Yeah. It's definitely a shift in things here at the end, right? Yes. And another song Getty would not have been able to record with Rush. At least I don't think so. No. And I think that we have said that on Available Light, that that might be Getty's mm-hmm. best vocal performance. But this one's, a, this one's right up there, too. He sings wonderfully on this song. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. And he's just really bearing his soul on this record, don't you think? I do. I absolutely do. These songs are all amazing, and he's just yeah. leaving it all out there. I know. I think this song is just about confusion, about being confused about whatever situation you might be in at the time. All right. Well, let's go through the lyrics. Trick of the light. 
or just a loss of perspective. Flaw in the grand plan, just the way it is. Yeah. Looks good from a distance, but the closer I come, it becomes more daunting. But these moments will pass. Yeah, you'll notice that this doesn't rhyme. Right. We're not rhyming. We're doing some free verse here. Mm -hmm. Which is a great way, I think, for a singer to really get at certain sounds without having the like being tied to rhyming all the time. Mm -hmm. Like I said, that that might be why this vocal performance is one of my favorites. And again, like we said with some of the previous songs, it just flows. It does. You know? Still, halfway up the hill, my fingers may bleed, but I've got to get there. Still, standing on the hill, my spirit's released, but I've got to get there. He's having a hard time with whatever emotions he's dealing with, right? Yeah. Whatever he's reaching toward. It seems to me like at the beginning and then afterwards, he's definitely struggling with something, right? Maybe the disappointment, it sounds like, you know, looks good from a distance, but the closer I come to it, you know, the realization that things aren't always what they seem. And that could be very uh, confusing. And I think here is where he's kind of, he has more resolve to try and figure out how to get the things that he needs to get. Yeah. I mean, the lyrics are just, just amazing. Really? Yeah. They're beautiful. Lost in abstract thought, dazed and distracted, winded, yet I'm still caught with a fragment of doubt, slowed by reflection, but these moments will pass. And that's the second time he says these moments will pass. Yeah. I guess it's, it's, speaks to his tenacity. You know, other songs, he had the same kind of thing that he just, you have to work through these things, right? You have to want it in mm-hmm. order to get past it. And in this song, I think he's realizing that everyone has these moments where you are unsure, but you should also know that that's going to pass. And maybe later on, you'll have a little more clarity about the situation. Yeah. It's only human to have these feelings, right? Yeah. It's just confusion and illusion, easily overdone. Here comes the resolution, absolution. And then we get, it's not an illusion, not a fiction, easily overcome. Here comes revolution, absolution. Right. It's deep. It is deep. Because I think what, what this means is that sometimes things are illusory, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're not. Right. Sometimes the, the challenges are all too real, right? That are, they're not easily overcome at all. Or though he says they are easily overcome. I don't know how true that is, but he definitely, you know, even when it's not an illusion and not a fiction, to this person, to him, they definitely could still be overcome. Yeah. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Not uh, Hope is never lost. That's another thing about the song is it seems like it's very hopeful still, right? Yeah. He's going to get through these challenges he's having in life. Yep. So any other thoughts? Uh, the, the only other thing I wanted to say is the bridge part is just so powerful and transitions to the mellow verse so beautifully. Yeah. Just another great track on this record. Yeah. And we've said it before, man. This is really showcasing Getty's songwriting chops. Yeah. It's amazing. It really is. It is. We've got one more to get through, Jared, before we wrap this up. It's Grace to Grace. A hundred thousand dreams A hundred thousand beams of light A hundred thousand schemes God's in the heaven can't get it right
I've got a quote on this one, Jar. This is from that article I found on Power Windows. That song is kind of personal to me. It is about this type of human being that has suffered and whose lives have been changed by things beyond their control. And yet, rather than caving in, they have adapted to an entirely new existence with grace and dignity and succeeded in creating new lives for themselves. It is very much inspired by my mother and what she has gone through and people like her who were victims of the war and had part of their lives stolen from them. But they don't complain about the stealing. They don't complain about the evil. They accept that they are still here and they have gone on with their lives and created wonderful possibilities, as difficult as it has been. How about that? Yeah, that's something. Because when I was listening to this song, I immediately thought it might be about Neil. Right, right. That's what I thought too. Okay. Yeah. But it makes sense that it's about Getty's mom, for sure. Right. And and people like her, mm-hmm. you know, who have suffered so much. Yeah. Well, this, 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 it's getting a little heavy here at the end of this album, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is a great song to wrap this record up because it's yep. about plowing through that adversity in life and fighting through and getting to a resolution. Yeah. Like his mom did. And it's got a great riff. Oh, this is my favorite song on the record, I think. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, by far. It's just, oh, and it just wraps up the record so perfectly. Yeah, true. Love the transition from the rock and verse to the mellow, soothing chorus. Mm-hmm. There's some cool guitar punches in there. Ben Mink really shines on this song, I think. Yeah. And the vocal layering, again, on this is just amazing. Yeah. So shall we go through the lyrics of this one too? Yeah, let's. A hundred thousand years, a hundred thousand miles of track, a hundred thousand years, hundred thousand souls you can't give back. Now, do you think this is referring to the Holocaust? Um, according to what Getty would said, yeah, it, well, it could it obviously refers to the Holocaust, but could refer, unfortunately, to many other things, many atrocities the Earth has seen, many atrocities, right. When the dark subsides, an eternity goes by on the fault line between then and now. That's one of my favorite lines on the entire album. Yeah. The fault line between then and now. An eternity goes by on the fault line between then and now. It's not stable, that line between then and now. There's a lot going on there. And it just one day cracks. Yeah. And you're standing on either side of it, right? The past is the past, and now you're here on the other side of this broken land. When the truth hides, an eternity goes by on the fault line between then and now. That is a wonderful image. Yeah. And we get the chorus, grace to grace, immaculate vision of what should have been. Mm. That's something. Yeah, it is. Now, in contrast to the angel's share, Getty's mom was very religious, was she not? I believe so, yeah. And I think Getty struggled with his religious beliefs while his mother was holding tight to them. Yeah, I think one of the things I had read or heard him say is that he um, couldn't reconcile the idea of a God with the things that had happened to his mother. Right. Specifically. So, but she could, but she could, which is amazing to me. It is amazing to me. It's, it's, it's a foreign concept to me to have that kind of faith that isn't shaken by everything that happened to her. Right. Face to face, eloquent stories of what could have been. Yeah. This is a, this is a, this is another deep one, man. Yeah. He's really getting at something. And then we get to another verse, 100,000 dreams, 100,000 beams of light, 100,000 schemes, gods in the heavens can't get it right. Yeah. I mean, that's the angel share mm-hmm. in, in one line. Yep. Do you know what I mean? It's there, uh, some, Something's going wrong up there. <laughs> if, this, if this is the result, right? Yeah. It, it really, really is amazing. Yeah. And, you know, we get the same chorus, but this time it ends with place to place, elegant story of what could have been. 
Yeah. This is my favorite song on the record for sure. Yeah, definitely. It's a, such a great way to end an album because it has the, it has the kind of heaviness topic wise as the previous two songs, mm-hmm. but it also has a little kind of punch to it. The great rush tradition of album enders. That's right. That's right. Exactly right. So Getty did do a little rush thing here at the end for sure. That he did. Which could be a Getty thing. I think Getty pushes for those great album enders as well with Rush and does the same thing here. Yeah. I never thought of that, but yeah, I guess maybe he does. So after listening to this record, Jer, how much do you want a new solo record from Getty? I want one. I really do. I can't wait. I know. I wouldn't hold your breath though, Steve. You don't think he's going to do one? I don't. I don't know. I have no idea what he's doing. He hasn't called in a, in a while. <laughs> told me what his plans are <laughs> hasn't cut me abreast of his situation now usually at the end of an album i give a set list but the thing that didn't happen after this album came out and i guess this is because rush started working on vapor trail shortly afterward there was no tour yeah had he thought about doing a tour though you know i don't know i don't know i didn't find anywhere anything about him possibly touring to support this record I know we heard rumblings of maybe it would happen back when this came out, but it never did. I would have lined up for days to see this. Right. Maybe back then we would have been. Oh, I'm sure we would have been. <laughs> now Now you don't have to line up, but still, right. I would love to see a Getty solo tour, a new album. He could do a tour and play songs off this and off the new record. Oh, that'd be amazing. I have visions of Getty doing amazing things in the future. Well, from... From your mouth to God's ears, as they say. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter. We are at Rush Fancast. Instagram, you can find us at The Rush Cast. Email Jerry at TheRushCast at gmail.com. Let him know what you thought of our conversation about my favorite headache. The bass intro and outro, he's no headache. He's Lex. <laughs> Subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast app. And Jer, hope you have a great quote to wrap up this album for us. I do. He sleeps with a chainsaw. He sings fa, 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 fa. <laughs> he likes to work with his hands. He's an apolitical man. Is he David Byrne? That's the question. Is he David Byrne? All right, we'll find out, hopefully. Take it easy, Jer. See you.